This is the Aftermarket Radio Network. OMG, everyone, it's Carm Capriato, Remarkable Results Radio. From the Aftermarket Radio Network, we've got over 2,000 episodes out there in ARN with all of our great podcasters that join us each and every week as we produce eight shows a week for you. I got a very, very interesting show today. With me is Stan Stokes, founder, managing partner of Iron Fist Consultants, and his partner, Eric Renninger, partner and COO, Iron Fist Consultants. Guys, so much interesting stuff's going to happen here. The listener's going to hang around for all the right reasons because we're going to talk about the fit and the roles for service advisors and the KPIs and all the data we can get and assessments. And if you think you're doing really well and you think you're converting maybe just at 10% and you could go to 60, these guys are going to talk about it and help you with it. You know, if your car breaks down, where do you take it? To your locally trusted independent repair shop. What if your shop cannot access the vehicle data and only the manufacturer has access? But who owns the data? You, the vehicle owner, or the manufacturer? Well, join the fight to help support Right to Repair by completing the form at autocareadvocacy.org slash NAPA, which sends a letter to your member of Congress today. Right to repair legislation protects your access to vehicle data and scan tools. This is critically important for the automotive, heavy-duty, paint, and body industries. It was episode 734. Stan came on, the new frontier of call conversion rates. It was April 22. And then he comes on with my friend Bill Nalu in June of 23. How can data improve customer relationships and sales? My brain had a fizzle that was <laughs> is like, whoa, are you kidding me? And so we've got a great relationship going with Stan. Talk to him a lot. See him at shows. And so we're ready for this next step. And as I said earlier, isn't it interesting when our gut says, this is the right person. I just got a feel for it. I like their face. I like their smile. I like their sound, but they're not intimate. They can't hold a relationship. They're not selling. And so this is where you two come in. Am I close? You're close. It's, it's good to be back, Carm. Thank you. Really enjoy you allowing us to be a part of this with you in this journey because it is a journey, right? It's not a sprint. It's a marathon. Things are always changing. And one of the big things that we try to do is help people validate their hunches and help them make sure that they're looking at the right information when they're making decisions, regardless of what it is, whether it's from our account, ARO, guest experience, service advisor, technician, you know, just the whole operations. And so the big part of what we've done for a long time is analyze marketing data. And that was the first episode we did with you was what is conversion rate? What is lead to customer? What's phone call to customer? We look at all this great technology out there and how do you analyze all this data? And so we kind of started doing some validation with these big platforms and came to find out, you know, things are kind of hovering around that 10 to 30% calls to conversion rate, meaning that someone's telephone number showed up in my POS system and there's my conversion rate. We were using that to measure our return on investment. And we kept kind of looking at it and going, ah, I think we're missing something here. I can't go and yell and scream at the marketing guy because he drove me a call because I didn't get any customers. That's not really his fault. And a lot of these marketing platforms are kind of, hey, I know I drove you a call, right? Well, are you listening to the call? Are you training your people? Are you doing all these things to maximize conversion? So we started digging into that a little bit more. And we are full as an industry of all the data we need. We've got great trainers out there. We've got great people that are content experts and all these pieces. It's just connecting all those dots together is where we kind of started to unfold this, Carmen. 
we realized <laughs> that there was these two major events that have happened. It's kind of one of those aha moments. The way we've operated is from a job role, a fit for role, a hiring has pretty much been the same thing forever. When I ask shop owners, how do you hire people? How do you, now that we got a labor shortage, how do you figure out a fit for role if you got to move somebody around the organization? And most of it is, I know him, I feel good. He's a good technician. He'll be fine up front. He's a service advisor. He'll be good in the back because the labor pool is what it is and we're struggling with it. And so the end result was that number didn't improve. <laughs> the ultimate goal was to increase the number percentage of opportunities coming into the shop and obviously increase the number of recommendations that we're having regarding digital inspection reports, right? There's two parts to the business, what's coming in and then going over with recommendations, things of that nature. And so we figured out some additional KPIs to look at. We started looking at those and still didn't change the number. <laughs> and so these events that happened were centered around two things. One, consumer behavior shifted. Prior to COVID, we were all making money on the guest experience in the center. I had kind of have a beautiful lobby. I need a comfortable place, need some tea and coffee and TVs and Wi-Fi and all that stuff. Well, what happened after COVID? Oh, yeah. Stay away. Stay away, right? <laughs> and so that was one big thing that happened. And then the next thing that happened is this great technology called DVI came out, which offered transparency. I could send the information to the customer. I could make it the guest experience very easy. They didn't need to come back into the shop. And so, man, this is all great stuff. Well, DVI had come out before that, but I think the adoption of it really ramped up during COVID. Yeah, it really ramped up because it was all part of what was going on with COVID. We wanted to send information to people, so it did, it ramped up. So if these two events happened, what happened to the job role of a service advisor as a result of that? Oh, in my opinion, they lost, my one of my favoriteest words about relationships is they lost intimacy. They lost that connection face-to-face. -face. And so when we look at fit for all, we look at service advisors, well, if the job roles changed, is this person still fit for this role? Great question to ask. Well, if I have a limited labor shortage, which we do, I got to work with what I've got. So now the change in that job role is 80, 90% a conversation on the phone right? It's no longer face-to-face. -face. And when you hire, when we hire a service advisor, look at their appearance, we look at how they're going to be. You put somebody in front of them in the counter, man, this guy, but you put them on the phone, completely different person. Job role changed. But are we training to that job role now? Are we measuring or being able to assess the service advisors fit for this new job description? And so we started doing some research, say, hey, is there some tools out here that we could use that could predict someone's fit for role, specifically this fit for role in this kind of environment because it changed. And so we started looking in the market and we started finding some different, you got all those personality assessments out there, right? This, Myers-Briggs. And we found that one that was really looking at inherent traits. Inherent traits, and Eric can talk a little bit more some of those key inherent traits, but they were kind of the KPIs that we were really trying to look at that could really nail down fit for role a lot better. And then if we could arm trainers, ourselves, the client, anybody that's helping the shop or self-awareness type situation to say, this is how to approach you based upon your inherent trait. Perfect example, comfort with conflict. Well, we're in an industry of conflict. Perfect example. We don't get priced out over the phone. Okay, boss, no problem. First telephone call is. 
How much is? Uh, I've been told I can't get price out of the phone, right, Carl? So, well, that doesn't sound real good on the guest experience side, but what we just identified was a comfortable conflict issue from a service advisor perspective. Some people know how to walk right through that conversation. Some people, you hear the pause, you hear, I can't give out pricing over the phone. And of course, that kills the conversion rate, kills the guest experience scenario. And so we wanted to figure out a way if we could predict that before training, if we could predict that and arm the trainers and arm the customer and their general, whoever they use, or they use us or someone else to train their team, if we can arm them with that information, we could validate how you approach somebody with that training content. Does that make sense? It sure does. Way back in the day when I did a lot of studying on DISC, just as a quick example, no matter who it is that you're selling, because DISC, in my mind, always taught us about a communication style. Maybe people call it personality, but still that's how it comes out. And if I was a dominant individual, I needed to create an environment for an extrovert, for an influencer, that how it enhances their status and visibility. If I was across the counter for them, you know, the confidence in the vehicle, always having it, and it needed to be enthusiastic. Even if I was a D and none of that mattered to me. And I had to learn how to create that communication stream that turned them on. Yeah, absolutely. And Eric can certainly talk more about some of those things. Eric, maybe you can share just some of the other things we're finding out by utilizing these tools and how it's impacting things outside of comfort conflict. I know we've got some of the other KPIs that really help us identify, again, the approach to take with people. Yeah, first and foremost, super exciting to be able to bring this kind of insight to the industry. Been at it a long time like you, Carm, and I personally, and, and we at Armfist Consultants, actually use the DISC. I use DISC. I think it's a very good vocabulary to establish. It's, you know, it's kind of like the Rosetta Stone. We learn how to talk about people's personality types and we learn how to identify certain things. We can be adaptable, chameleon-like, as you said, you want to you be able to relate to the person that's standing across the counter. So all of those have value. The predictive insights, the assessment that we use, I think is something as a leader in an organization, you know, maybe a regional manager, general manager of, of a center or multiple centers. If he or she isn't getting results from his team and his or her boss had the insight to say, let me see what their enterprising is, right? And enterprising is very proactive, far on the left versus a very responsive person, far on the right. And then there's obviously sweet spots in the middle of that where a person can be proactive when needed and then be reactive when needed, like in a conversational selling environment, you know, where you ask me a question, I respond, that kind of thing, or ask a separate question. But someone who's very proactive in that regional manager's scenario, very enterprising, think of an entrepreneur, someone who has great ideas, and then just expects everybody else to get it. That's a great example, right? I have a great idea. I just assume everybody else is like me, Carmen. I, I, I walk away saying, I want to do X, whatever that is. We want to implement a new loop-centered digital vehicle inspection process. Great. I've got these great ideas. He's got one or two ideas and he, and he walks away. He expects it to be done. The problem is because he's so enterprising, he has a vision in his mind that's got five or 10 steps. We expect it to be done in those five or 10 steps. The problem is he lacks the ability to communicate to you or me. I'm very operationally driven, very check the box kind of guy, very things in order kind of guy, need process, develop process because I need it. But that person who's receiving it, if he doesn't get that, he or she may be off doing whatever, come back and the regional manager blows up at him. He's so enterprising. He doesn't get that he needed to give them a roadmap or a ladder to help them step by step by step to get to his end goal of a 10-step DVI process in the Lib Center. Wait a minute. Can't you read my mind? 
<laughs> How many times have we heard it, right? It's just, seriously, I mean, uh, I think so many of us that are quote, 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 enterprising, I love that word, entrepreneurial <laughs> and visionaries, kind of guilty of this. Tracy, I got an idea and boom, and it doesn't get done because I never really told her what my expectations or ideas would be. And maybe, Dad, you want us to build a house? Is the foundation going to be slab concrete? blocks? I mean, what's it going to be? Basement, yeah. no basement. Are we in a cold climate? Hurricane rating? Do we have any sort of seismic activity to worry about? Right, all of <laughs> That's an enterprising versus an operationally minded person or someone who's more grounded towards the center. And again, as Stan, I think pointed out very eloquently, the role matters. The expectations of the role matter. And Stan and I, as an example, we did this for ourselves, Stan, I don't know how many years ago, four years ago or so, we took this test when we started digging into this particular, we took this test to see how he and I interacted. And it's funny now when he and I are talking about whether it's something client related or something internal with our business, we'll often, he'll often say, listen, this is my enterprise brain coming out, Eric. <laughs> I need you to figure out the steps. Like, I'm just telling you, it needs to look like a house, right? Like you said, it needs to have a foundation. Maybe we're going to have a basement or a crawl space. After that, I want a roof and want it dry. Figure everything else out. So Eric goes to Stan and Stan says, handle it, handle it, handle it. <laughs> well, from a step standpoint, yes. Right. Steps. But that's good that we understand what we're great at, what we're hardwired to be able to deliver. And that helps he and I as, as partners to be able to communicate at a level that produces results rather than produces frustration. And that's, I think, the thing that this tool can bring to this industry in a way that has never done before, the frustration piece. You've heard the old adage, people don't leave bad jobs, they leave bad bosses. Well, typically they leave bad situations. And bad situations are created from this misunderstanding that comes from being misaligned with your natural tendencies and hardwiring. Nap is proud to have America's largest network of parts and care with nearly 6,000 auto parts stores and over 18,000 auto care centers. In that spirit, the Nap Auto Parts and Auto Care logos have a new look, carefully designed to be visually alike. This will further cement Napa as the place to go for consumers when in need of vehicle maintenance. Now, did you know Napa Auto Care was top-rated in a national survey by consumers of car repair in the Chains and Independent Repair Shops category? These ratings were based on courtesy, timeliness, quality, price of repair, and percent of times the problem was fixed on the first visit to the repair facility. Napa Auto Care is the only banner program to make these ratings. Consumers are familiar with the Napa Auto Care brand and you can benefit from their continued success. Your independent repair facility can join this network and be supported through Napa's national marketing by promoting your local repair facility with targeted media in local markets and in proven channels, allowing you to compete with a national presence by co-branding your locally known brand with the nationally recognized Napa brand using the Pro Image Auto Care program. Also, partnering with Napa Smart Sign. Now, it educates your clients with engaging videos that tell the why behind a needed repair or service. You also get access to editable digital menu boards, template builder tools, social media feeds, and integrations with other auto care program elements. Napa also offers a credit solution to customers with Napa Easy Pay Consumer Financing with your business name embossed on the credit card. Napa also gives you an online presence when the consumers search for a local repair facility on Napa Online using the Auto Care Locator tool, which generates millions of views per month at no additional cost. From parts to care, from coast to coast, we are one Napa. Now, if you're interested in partnering with Napa Auto Care and capitalizing on the latest national marketing campaign, contact your servicing Napa Auto Parts store or sales rep. There's this so much happening 
even up to this point, we're only, what, 15 minutes in, and there's all kinds of value. And I know things are cycling through your head and you're saying, oh, teach me more, tell me more. So we're relating to you, we're relating to the people in your business, but we're driving toward this assessment and improving conversion rates to help you grow revenue in your business. And that's what I love about having gotten in the weeds a little bit. And you guys gave me that test and I can't believe you came on with me after you read my results. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Carm, First of all, appreciate you stopping there. It's very important to recognize, you know, we're all only as good as what we know and what we've been taught and shown and we're trial and error and proven to be effective over the years. And as Stan and I always say, we've been in this business a long, long time and I've got lots of scars and bumps and bruises and I want to share those and share the insights and knowledge that I now have, the new insights, a new way to look at our business so that other people don't have to repeat them, right? They're expensive, they're laborsome, they cost time and money and energy. And more importantly, they run off good people. And in a day and age where people are biggest resource, technically competent, technically capable people on both sides of our business, right? Both in the shop and at the front counter. I think we have to do everything we can to make sure that we give people great environments where they can be cultured and nurtured and motivated to be their best themselves. And if we can do that by giving the managers of those people some awareness, I think it keeps people from leaving bad bosses and gives them true job satisfaction. I think that's what keeps people. Stan, the essence of this episode going forward, could we actually just call this the science of selling? Yeah, you could. As I'm listening to you guys, the operator in me, right, as a business owner, okay, this is all great, but it really comes down to measuring effort and output, measuring these things, because we don't have the tools to measure. We have this system over here that does my DVI, and we got this system over here, measure my conversion rate, but we don't have a way of measuring effort and output in the job. You can assess people all day long. You can use ours, anyone else's. The other piece of the puzzle is, is how do you measure their adoption to that? That's probably the hardest thing I think I hear from operators is, okay, I hired him. He's doing good. Well, matter of fact, I'll back up a little bit, Carmen. We were at SEMA. I started talking to folks in the recruitment business because my aha moment was feeds us these people. What are they doing on the very front end? What are we doing on our technical schools? What are we doing on our recruiting side? The people that feed this industry, even though the labor pool's thin, what does that process look like? Because we're feeling the aftermath of it. And we're saying, okay, job roles change. Things have changed in our environment. Are the people that are feeding the industry, these folks, what are they doing? So I went around and kind of started talking to those guys. And I found that they're doing it the same way. Well, I've been recruiting for 20 years and I know how to find a service advisor. Okay, great. Are you using any tool to validate that hunch? And do you have some way of measuring the person you put in my centers if they stuck or not? Because what happens is if I'm using recruiter or some type of organization that feeds people to me, Johnny comes in, I hire him, doesn't work out in 90 days, I let him go. But there's nothing that says, well, was this really a Johnny issue? Was this lack of process? Was it more your issue, Mr. Operator? Because a lot of times we want to blame other people or lack of things that we should be giving them. And Eric brought up a good case. Technicians and service advisors are usually process-oriented. There's a process that they're running through every single day. Owners and operators, generally enterprise thinkers, because they're the idea guy. Well, what do you got, Carm? Right? You got the enterprise guy over here saying, hey, I expect you guys to roll this all DVI. Here it is. Go to it. Did you give him a process? No. And he didn't work out. I had to let him go. Well, wait a minute. I'm confused. You hired him, but you didn't give the tools to do his job, but you're saying he didn't work out. 
So it's connecting these dots, Carm, that will really and help people do. I love what you just said. Didn't work out. I'll bet you today in our automotive aftermarket, those words are spoken 1,500 times. And I may be light, I may be a little high, <laughs> but it is, well, what happened? It didn't work out. It didn't work out. And we go to the same grind. We do the same thing. We check the same boxes we think we're good at. And we don't stop to look back and say, maybe there's something broken, something wrong. Maybe my intuition isn't right. Maybe my onboarding process isn't right. And again, I think it is so important since the labor pool is tighter than ever. Don't just take the warm body, the fog, the mirror individual, because I can't wait any longer. I'm going out of family trip and I've got to replace that person, you're hired. But if you had those assessment tools on the way in, you could be saying no quicker than yes. So I love where our industry is heading. I love what you're bringing to it. I love what some of the recruiting industry companies are doing. Just an example, Promotive, one of our great sponsors on Hunt Show, and they're with you. They're not one and dones with you. They're with you because you know if something doesn't work, they're right back with you helping. It behooves them to find a better way and a stronger way to help you hire and recruit. And Promotive was the ones that we at SEMA went and talked to. Yeah. And spent a lot of time it's like, hey guys, if we could figure out a better tool of feeding people into the industry, we wouldn't be dealing with the aftermath. We're dealing with the aftermath of not a good fit. Well, if we could predict that going in, problem solved. Or should I say greatly reduced because the cost of the wrong hire is really expensive. Not only hard dollars, but soft dollars from the guest experience. And you probably have all those stats to prove to anyone what it really does <laughs> cost. And You know Stan well after three podcasts. <laughs> you know he has the statistics. I know he does. And you know what? I'd love to hear them, but I think we've got our listener to a point. This is, okay, now how do we improve this? How do we fix this? What, what do we do? Very simple. Anybody that we work with. We assess their entire team, top down. Not only do we assess each team member, but we assess leadership. And then we have what we call a, a composite that aligns the organization to help you have a snapshot of your culture and exactly where things are needed in the inherent traits from your team member of what to give them and how to give it to them. Meaning that I'm going to go hire a training group. I know my service fight. Okay, stay in. He got me awake on this conversion rate. I'm going to go hire a trainer. Okay. How do you know the trainer and the service advisor are compatible? Interesting. If I have an enterprise service advisor who just needs one, five, and 10, and he gets that he doesn't need a script, but you've got a trainer that is very nuts and bolts kind of guy. You have to follow this. This You with me? You get that rub. And again, I go back to whatever we're doing is not working because the number hasn't changed. Well, I can see the information that is being discovered on an individual in the business. If the trainer can get this information, no matter what their training philosophy would be, if they're wide-eyed and open and they've got a lot of different tools, they will, in my opinion, should want to work with that individual to help, if you will, stitch that one little V of the pie together to help round them out. If the trainer can know how to approach CARM. Yes. The training content's the same. It's how do I approach Stan versus how do I approach Eric? If I know that going in, it's going to stick a lot better, right? And that's 
That's exactly, I think it's the alignment. Again, it's not that we're missing good trainers or not that we're missing good content or it's the alignment of people. And how do I know this? Because I keep going back. I've been studying this number for 10 years and it hadn't changed. So something's missing. And my job is just always try to figure out, well, what's missing? Because I'm trying to solve the problem for somebody. The problem is I'm, I can't hire somebody to replace this. I got to work with what I've got. How do I get them to digest this? Or what do they need that I'm not giving them? It's all those little pieces, gone. Does that make sense? Guys, when I saw a dashboard of yours a while back, you were just dazzling me with stuff. <laughs> little wordy balloons that were all arrowed into... What do you call the pipeline? Yeah, so what do you call that, Stan? Pipeline, yeah. It's a pipeline. Yeah, communication pipeline. A communication. I was just blown away. I was sitting there saying, oh my God, what do I do with this information? There seems to be so much there, but it looks like they're puzzle pieces to improve our conversion rate and bring the individual up with all their own God's gift and make them one of the best service advisors in the country. Because our people, and you know this, our people are our competitive advantage. That's all we got is our competitive advantage. I can get my car fixed anywhere. Nobody has any secret sauce to fixing cars out, outside of what? Their people. How good's your master tag? How good's your service advisor? How comfortable is your culture to fit the consumer. It's all about a consumer experience at the end of the day. So any insight we can give to that consumer journey with you is, I think, just valuable. And most importantly, Carm, I think what's really, where we've focused really hard on is how do I operationalize all this data? <laughs> I just don't want to bring more data to the industry because then we just, yes. Eric, this can't be Stan talking to me. I know. Listen, he learns really well. <laughs> he's learned really, really well. He's the big picture guy, but he's talking details right now. I don't get that. I know. I would just further add to what Stan said. First of all, Stan does know a lot about operations. He happens to be very analytical and our enterprise thinker that's in our organization. But I will say the one thing, no matter how good your people are, and I think you guys both said this, you know, we have great people and we work with a lot of great job, great people in the front of the house. The thing that stands between a potential customer, a guest, and those great people and a great guest experience interaction is that telephone. And that is almost single-handedly the biggest thing that keeps people from getting your great guest experience. If you value your offering, whether it be your warranty, your great people, your great culture, your lobby, whatever it is, if you value your offering as a shop owner, the phone call and the way the advisors and the people that answer your phone handle those phone calls is the biggest obstacle to people being able to experience it. Because if they run them off before they get the chance, they'll go somewhere else that's great or mediocre and they'll tolerate it. You know, guys, I don't want to go down a rabbit hole, but I just got to for something you right now. You can't help it. You just go can't help. I know it's just me. I mean, I'm working on a town hall academy show called Communication Protocol and how front of house and back of house work together and what are the policies and how do you discipline the this interaction. And you just kind of motivated me to the point where you said, hey, we're going to assess everybody in the company. With that data, you could figure out. And again, everybody's got their own profile. This technician, he's, he just loves to be alone. Just leave me alone. I'll get the job done. And you expect him to communicate upwards better than he is. And he needs to be maybe taught that. And then you've got your 
extrovert who wants that energy going and he can't get it. So what's the protocol when it doesn't exist? And part of the thoughts that I had was if we could all get together as a company and put up our, you know, what our strengths are as communicators in this company and say, listen, this is the family. This is the work family. And it's not like it's the home family where we can't get along sometimes because we're unwilling to learn and listen and love our team. We have to learn, listen and love our work family if we want to really be incredibly successful and have a great career. And so I'm playing around with this to do a show and maybe I explained it all and just gave everyone an important step. Get together, take the assessments, learn how to love. How about that? Learn how to love. I like that as well. One thing I found that it does for us, even internally, is it allows us to recognize when we're in one of our extreme, right, our extreme categories. Let's just say enterprising or independence, right? Where we're in an extreme. It helps us communicate because again, that composite, Stan mentioned composite. And what it does is it puts everybody on the same scales. Where you fall, far left, far right, right in the middle, well-balanced or some fringe, right? Between either of those extremes. And it allows you to have, if you're willing, Carm, this is like any piece of information. You can, lay, to build your house that you mentioned earlier, right? I can lay the hammer down there and it'll lay there for millennia if you're not willing to pick it up. Same with this tool. This tool is no different. If you take it and get your composite and abandon it, it's as useless as what you've put into it. But if you adopt it and pick that tool up and try to build a stronger house, it will give you that ability to communicate in a way that's meaningful, in a way that's career building, in a way that's people building, in a way that's relationship building. And we've seen some really remarkable results. So if you'll use the tool, and we have, a, I believe you met Darren before, a guy like him that's adopted it, assesses everybody that he has true potential in hiring and believes in communicating with them in the way that they're desired to be communicated with based on the personality types. When you use it and adopt it and use it as the tool and the resource that it is, you can have remarkable results, such as your podcast's title. What a plug. Huh? Was that good? <laughs> I'll send you a gift card to some kind of English pub out there. Yeah, Eric lives in England. Isn't that cool? Dude, far west of England near, near the Welsh border, yeah. We were just talking about that before we started. But yeah, I mean, the tool's only as good as the effort you're willing to put into using it. I'm with uh, Stan Stokes, founder, managing partner, Iron Fist Consultants, and Eric Renninger, partner and COO, Iron Fist Consultants, ironfistconsultants.com. Let's keep going. I love how put a bow on the KPI, Stan. Yeah. So the bow on it is, as I say all the time, hey, man, thanks for introducing me to all this. How do I operationalize this? What is it that I need to do? One, assessing people is one thing. It's having the ability to measure the effort and the output of that assessment. Okay. I can, you interview someone, you think they're going to be great. Well, what tools do you have to measure someone's effort and output in their role? And so we are launching in part, well, we have it now, but we'll be launching a little bit deeper later after the first of the year. But our process and our system allows you as a shop owner to measure the effort and the output. That's the key. I did an assessment, says he should be doing this. Now I need a tool that says, is he doing this? Because I want to build compensation or whatever it is. I got to compensate people. Maybe I'm struggling with the idea of moving to an incentive-based pay because I can't afford the salaries everybody's sitting up on. And business has changed. So now we're incentivizing people to be a part of the, of the gross profit or being some type of bonus. But I want to leverage all of that, right? How do I do it? So we have the ability to not only help you assess your team, but then we have the ability to measure that effort and output and operationalize where you should be moving and not be moving based on that. That's the bow, I think, at the end of the day is great stuff. What do I do with it? How do I use it? That's how you use it. You got me thinking pretty deep. How can you do that? 
<laughs> okay, if you were going to engage or measure my effort, are you following me around my office and watching me work? No. Nope. Basically, <laughs> as I said, the majority of our business transactions today or through some type of conversation. So we're analyzing the conversation between the consumer or the customer or potential customer, the service and the shop. And then we're looking at the assessment, right, data and saying, how does that apply to this conversation? And then where should we be measuring your efforts and your output? Are you, Am I measuring your booked appointment rate? Am I measuring why you didn't book an appointment? And if you're struggling with booking the appointment, how do I leverage the assessment to create the right training message for you to improve that number? So let me see if I can break the code here, okay? Because okay. <laughs> So you're listening to the call. You're running it through an AI scrubber and you're getting keywords to dis- so you've got the assessment. Here's what I'm good at. And you're looking for my effort through words. And then you're looking at the booked appointment, probably in the SMS, and you're putting it all together and you're saying, hey, good stuff's going on here. Not good stuff's going on here. Right. And here's how to correct it. And now if I'm correcting it, I'm measuring if the correction was took in and implemented. The key is, is it getting better, right? I know that I can't go and hire this guy. I, I, I know what the parameters are. The assessment says this is the top, the best of the best. Well, he doesn't, he's not the best of the best in everywhere. But that's okay. It's not the end of the world. But if I know how to address those areas where there might be some shortcomings from his assessment, as we're looking at the transcripts and we're looking at the conversations or we're working with the coaching team, we can provide that information to them that says, okay, harm is uncomfortable conflict doesn't mean that he's not fit for a role. It's just he struggles there. Let's give you the content you need during the training process and measure if he's getting better at it. Does that make sense, Carl? Yeah, it does. I changed my wording from the science of selling to the science of sales success. Customer journey. The science of the customer journey too, right? The customer. All of this is about customer experience. Every bit of it. And because you got one shot, you got one shot with somebody. And I say this all the time. There's no shoppers in this industry. There's no such thing as a shopper. I'm getting my car fixed. So look, the customer experience, it's really the word I'm looking for is um, it's not complicated. It's it's integrated, but it's not just a one and done thing. Example, the car is in. We promised it at two o'clock. It's 10 o'clock. You've noticed maybe the parts haven't arrived. I mean, something's going on. Just getting back with the customer, even texting them in, in whatever way they want to be communicated with. Hey, I want to let you know, Mrs. Smith, we did discover the problem but we're so that we are not sitting in there waiting. It's like with bated breath. I haven't heard from them. What's going on? Do you think they got it? Will it be done at two? And then the call comes at 1.30 and says, we're not going to be done. Are you measuring the during and the follow-up stuff, Stan? Absolutely. The entire journey. Yeah. The entire journey. And Carm, think about, you just had a great example. You made a proactive call at 11 o'clock to tell Mrs. Jones that her part may be delayed. Would it be okay to keep the car for another hour or two, right? And you promised another follow-up, right? Some other promise time, something. That's a 30-second call, more than likely agreed to some sort of prolonging in her in her appointments where you've arranged a ride or whatever whatever other resources you have available to you. You've done something proactively. It took 30 seconds. Guess what? When Mrs. Jones calls at 1.30, as you said, she gets a hold of the receptionist at the front. 
he or she takes the call, talks to Mrs. Jones to understand what's going on. That's 30, 45 seconds. Now all of a sudden you put you on hold. She goes to find Eric. He's in the back shop. That's another minute. Mrs. Jones is on hold. Think about how much time you save in your day when you, and, and again, stand our, all, stand our analytics out, right? Think about the length of calls, the amount of time that it takes. When you're proactive, you can get done with a call that is doing, as you said, rescheduling, giving an update, 30 to 45 seconds. When you have one that comes in that blocks up the phone lines from a person in need, person that's broke down alongside road with his, his family on the way to a soccer game or a graduation, the person that needs to talk to you, that needs real help. When you spend three minutes put on hold, three people get toggled to till they finally get to you for you to make an excuse why your part didn't come. The time that you lose in your day is it's shocking. We'll mm-hmm. talk about the statistics on that on another day, but the time of that process is shocking. Oh, it's terrible. But I'm glad you brought up that proactive. I mean, hey, hello, I am the virtual call assistant. This call may be recorded. Yeah, come on, you're killing me. You just want a simple yes or no, and you're right. And we're so time bound today. We're unwilling to tolerate it. And on our very own, sitting in silence, on hold, we're developing an attitude. <laughs> or at least an intolerance. Right. <laughs> and Stan, I didn't mean to, I didn't mean to interrupt no, you. No, no, uh, Carm asked you, Carm asked, but he asked you a direct question about monitoring outbound calls yeah. and approvals calls when you're calling to review the DVI. And we've got some interesting stuff there as well. That Right. Again, it's excited. measuring the conversation. First conversation is, let's get you accommodate your schedule and get you and take a look at your car. The next conversation is, what's going on with your car? The role of that changed. <laughs> that used to be, you want to wait? Yeah, I'll wait. We call them waiters now, right? There's nobody waiting. Better yet, they don't even want to bring their car to you. Can you come get it? So the consumer, I read this thing that what has Amazon done to our society, right? Amazon has created this instant gratification need results now. So we are (laughs) wired this way. You mean I can order this on Amazon and it will be here this afternoon? I just set my expectation for every other thing that I do business with. So you got to look at all this stuff and you got to figure out from a operational process, how do you manage this? Well, the first way you manage it is to get an idea of what, how bad it is or how good it is and look at those things. And that's measuring what's going on. Then it's measuring the protocol. So I'm measuring the call. Are you booking an appointment? Are you not? We're looking at the process, the SOP. Do you have a trainer? Do you not? Do you have an operations guy that could come in and help you? There's a gazillion of them out there. Again, we're just giving them and you the tools to measure the effort and the output of whatever that is. So it looks to me like Iron Fist Consultants helps you manage your chessboard. It's mm-hmm. a nice way to think about it. Nice way. Yeah. You just described that to me. You just said there's all these moving pieces and they all have a discipline, a way to move, a strategy behind them, a reason to climb to the other end of the board and capture the king, make that the king is the customer. And we got to do all of this stuff and it's got to work like, oh, it's just warm butter. Absolutely. Yeah. That's the repetitions thing, right? That's your 10,000 hours. You're glad, well, your 10,000 hours of perfection. Repetition, repetition repetition right and yeah you're so good at this how did you get this good oh i was born you know i just decided to do this yesterday and it came natural wrong and that's the point the whole point of this thing is kind of a great summary you hire the new service advisor and you put him up on the counter and it's two weeks later says hey how you doing you don't do there's no training there's no assessment there's no welcome there's no process there's no nothing and you're expecting that nothing happened to your business except you just filled you put a pawn on the board <laughs> Carm, you just said something right there that I think 
often goes unnoticed. The value of the quality of that interaction, the value of the quality of the way every call is handled. We were working with a very successful shop and we were doing some of this process stance that we're getting in some of that data. And I happened to spend some time. Again, you said earlier, we, we do some AI scrubbing, but we still touch a lot of our calls, mainly for accuracy. We want to provide the most accurate analytical data available to this industry. And, and I touch a lot of them myself and, and we have a team that helps. But I'll say, I was listening to some calls and we have, you know, we know who the people are. We've, we've been there. We, we know the owner and, and his team and they're, they're great. High level shop, big dollar shop, just under $4 million a year. So real legitimate shop, independent. And I heard somebody answer a telephone call that I never heard before. Didn't know her name. Her name was going to be left out of this podcast to protect the innocent. But she says, she says, hi, I'm Sally. And she's answering questions. Never been through any training. This is happens to be an organization that we work with from a training perspective. So they're someone that I talk to pretty regularly. And I know all of them. I don't know Sally. And Sally's answering a pretty large number of phone calls. And Sally's answering the questions she's asked. She's giving prices. She's arranging schedules. She's doing all kinds of things. I don't, I asked the owner about that. I said, please tell me who Sally is. I'm hearing this Sally person and what's her expectation? Well, when people go to lunch, she answers the phone some. If somebody's out sick, she'll answer the phone some. Why haven't we assessed or trained Sally? Well, she's not really supposed to be answering the phone. I know she's not supposed to be, but she is. And at a pretty high rate, at a rate that I would probably be alarmed. So we ran some analytics on Sally. I cannot tell you how much each of those customers are worth. I only know what their ARO is and it's significant. And if they would have got even 50% of those people to be one-time customers, let alone long-time customers or lifetime customers, the value of the people that she ran off, Carm, is probably six figures. That she ran off? Just couldn't convert. She's giving people prices, right? Hey, Carm, how much is a XYZ? And she's dumping the price on them. Hey, can I book you an appointment? But you and I all know that that's not the order of operations, right? Hey, can I book an appointment? I've given you the price. Can I book? No, she is taught by our industry that price differentiates so quality So the bookkeeper shops. who answers the calls at lunch when it overrings more than three times may not necessarily be the smartest choice. I would argue or, from my perspective that yeah. it's better to let it go to voicemail and call them back. Because first of all, you'll be the only shop in town that ever calls back a voicemail. <laughs> But you have it handled by a person that you know is trained and that can handle that call in a way that has the highest likelihood of booking that appointment that shows up. It's no different than do you want a certified technician fixing your car or not? Do you want a trained individual fixing your car? Yes. Well, it shouldn't be any different with the people that are communicating with your customer. We look at training and certification as that's all back in the shop. No. Anyone that's interacting with your customer there should be a process. You should be able to be trained. And if you can assess them to see how to approach them with the training, and then you determine, you know what, like Eric said, after we all this, you know what, let's change some protocol here. Voicemail, right? Other alternatives. That's the operational piece, right? That's operationalizing That's operational a, a concern. You get some data, it shows you that this person's not converting at a level that would meet your expectations. They've not been trained. If they're going to continue to answer the phone, I would operationally, I'd advise against it. I'd say, let it go to voicemail. First available service as it calls those people back, figure out a protocol, right? An SOP, but make sure that they're talked to by the most capable person of answering their and addressing their needs. What have we missed here in this discussion? I'm sure something, Val. Trust me, I get it. I mean, you're going to call me later and you're going to say, we should have done this and this and that. Well, we'll come back and we'll do this. But here's the deal. This is an ongoing living type of thing. There are a lot of answers in this podcast for our listener. But 
I also think the motivation of discussing this again and continuing to move people down the road to the science of sales success by bringing in data assessments, analytics, dashboarding, and all that stuff takes what we're doing in the bays to find the need for training and keeping our guys on top of everything that has to do with technology of the vehicle that we have to have this at our front counter. I don't think we're going to ever get away from not, it was like a DVI, what is this DVI thing? And now it is such an, a critical component to customer safety, security, relationships, no like and trust that this is not that it's brand new in the sales training side, but what do we need to train And I go back to, what are the words you used? Uh, Effort, hello, effort and output. Hello, there's a brand new frontier. So I love what you guys are doing. And and thank God that you're the visionary, Stan and Eric. You got to move the chairs on the deck of the Titanic for him before it crashes. Well, I'm proud to have a partner like Stan and proud to be, you know, thank you for that. We look forward to additional conversations here. I, yeah, bring some case studies. I want you to bring some case studies the next time, okay? For any business owner, Carm, the investment that we have to make in the back of the shop to continue to keep great quality technicians, people that are trained, the rate that technicians earn now is as high as it's ever been and is probably going to continue to increase as the shortage of available quality people goes down. So for a business owner who's making that kind of investment on the back of the house, The only way to keep the front of the house, to keep those people fed is to have the front of the house operating at the same level. If you want to have a master tech that can put 100 hours a week, book 100 hours a week, you got to have a service advisor equivalent of that. And that's a person that books appointments at probably 80%. And we've, I know it sounds crazy, but we've seen them, right? They're the right person in the right environment, given the right training with the appropriate amount of self-awareness and self-focus and dedication to their craft. We've seen people hit 80. Let that sink in. If you want him to turn 100, you got to have someone on the front that can book it. Yeah, feed him. As a business owner, if you want to be able to afford a technician that's maybe he's got a healthy guarantee because you need to lure him away from somewhere else. If you want to be able to afford to run your business because technicians are more expensive and guaranteed more money than they've ever been, you got to have an all-star on the front too. Here's the caveat to that, okay? Because I hear it all the time. Well, I'll just spend more money on advertising. Uh, Okay, now let's start looking at your debt. You make any money? No. All you did was pay more on the back, spend more on the front. And that all comes back to the very beginning, the first podcast we did with you. What KPI? Lead to customer conversion rate. Why not improve that before you go spend more money? If you can drive a lower customer acquisition cost, you're going to have a stronger return on investment and you're going to push money to the net, right? Because everybody talks about their gross. That's great. I love it when I hear someone, I'm a $4 million shop, $5 million shop. and And I say, that's fantastic. What's your net? After your cost, after your expense, after your marketing dollars, that's what you're, you're not, a, I'm assuming you're a for-profit organization, right? <laughs> that's a story for a different day. And you're right. But again, you always inspire me when we talk, Stan. And uh, I take these notes that come to me. I, I'm sorry to constantly opine about this, but here's what I wrote. We need a higher yield from our marketing and CRM. We need a higher yield. And I know we're measuring that. But it doesn't necessarily mean we know how to improve our yield. And that, that goes back to all the stuff you're talking about. We need a higher yield. Uh, we're trying to yield into the back office, but wow. Yeah, so you're, to your point, let's go spend more money on marketing. No, maybe we just need a higher yield from what we're currently investing in. 
And that is that our people on the counter have got to convert. And the assessment says, can they? Yeah. And the assessments will tell me if I can or I can't do the job. That's the piece. Can they? Right. We believe that kind of puts a bow all around this because everybody's kind of doing a little bit of what I'm talking about. Right. But the number hadn't changed. If this was all working, what tools we're using today, if they were working, our conversion rate would be higher. So it's my job as a consultant to figure out because you hired us to assess your business to tell you what's going on. Well, if it's not out there, I'm going to ask those partners to figure out how we can get it or we're going to figure it out. Right. And so the bow on this, I think there's not one single bullet. It's a combination of things. But a big one we've been missing is understanding our people and their fit for role in the culture we're putting together in our team. A while back, guys, I created this really incredible chart. That does look like an incredible chart. It's an incredible chart. Is that laminated as well, Carm? Don't tell me you've got it laminated. Eric, I could laminate it. I could send it over to England and it would only... I'm kidding. I'm, it's only, I'm five, kidding. only $5. I'm only, so here was my chart so that we as a sales organization could understand the reception of an individual had a different communication style than me. So no matter what your communication style is, for example, if you realize you were talking to an achiever, a high conformity, a thinking type person, a C in the disc chart, then you'd want to be accurate. You'd want to have documentation. You have to have precise and procedures. They're all about procedures, right? You have to have a serious environment when you're talking about fixing their vehicle. And if you learn that, then they'll melt in your hands. And there's nothing you can't do with that individual if you meet their reception needs. 100%, 100% accurate. I'm getting ready to, to publish this and it'll be available on my website. So anyway, because we've been talking a lot about this communication styles and, and assessments and stuff, including what you guys are bringing to this. Guys, it was great. Stan Stokes, Eric Renninger, ironfistconsultants.com. Guys, eye-opening as always. Thank you. Appreciate Thank you, your Carm. time. Thank you, Carm. Thank you, Stan. Appreciate you. Thanks for being on board to listen and learn from the premier automotive aftermarket podcast. Until next time.